Praise God. Praise God. I want to welcome you to Christmas at Grace Point. How many of you were surprised when you walked through the doors this morning? A little surprised? Uh, i got to give a shout-out today to my wife and to Jeevan, who's back there somewhere, and to Amanda Gertis. They were here for like two days setting all this stuff up, and there's more coming. So just so you know, there's more coming. And i got to tell you, I'm usually the guy who's like, let's wait till after Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, I give Thanksgiving its time. But the way the calendar falls, the Sunday right after Thanksgiving is actually the first Sunday of Advent, okay? And so we're getting ready. We're two weeks away from the beginning of Advent, so I don't think it's too early, right? Um, and praise God for uh, this season. Uh, I pray it's a blessed season for you with your families to enjoy and uh, reflect on what God has done for us. Amen. Well, we are in the midst of a series on the spiritual realm, and before we jump into it, let me pray for us one more time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for your word. Lord God, we thank you that it guides and directs our lives, and so we thank you for this opportunity you give us to come together as the people of God and hear from you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak in this time. Lord, for any that are struggling or wrestling this morning, Lord God, we just pray that your word would bring peace and would bring direction and would bring comfort. Lord God, we just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, we're in the midst of uh, a series on the spiritual realm, and we've been talking about the battle that's going on around us all the time in the heavenly places. And um, two weeks ago, we talked about who our enemy is, right? And we also talked about why does God even allow Satan to exist? And we really answered, I think, one of the greatest questions of our time. It's the question of the existence of evil, right? If God exists and God is good, then why do bad things happen? Anyone ever asked that question before? Come on. If God is good, then, then why do I struggle? Why do I have to battle through some things in life? And, and we really focus on the fact that evil exists because Satan exists. But then the question is, well, then why doesn't God just do away with Satan, right? Why doesn't he just take him out, right? And, and we talk then about the truth that, that God is even right now using Satan's destructive efforts for his purposes and for our good. And then last week we looked at Satan's purposes. What is he up to, right, as he, as he roams the earth? And based off of that, we talked about our strategic goals in the battle that we're engaged in, which is to demolish strongholds that set himself up against the knowledge of, of who Jesus is and to take every thought obedient, right, take it every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now, if you missed either of those messages, I want to encourage you to go back. You can listen to them on our website or even on our Apple podcast, and you can bring yourself up to speed. But my hope is this, that as we're walking through this series, that you would see spiritual warfare as not something that's strange and far out and weird, right, hard to understand, but something very practical that we are engaged in as believers in Jesus Christ, right? I want to encourage you to pull out your note sheets today. I know this last week was our, our, our last week of community groups for this season. We're taking a break. Uh, next Sunday evening, we're going to have a potluck here for all of our community groups. And I want to say it's open to everyone, okay? There's only one condition to come out to the potluck next week. It's that you bring food with you, okay? And we're going to enjoy some time together, fellowshipping, and, and just thanking God for what he's done during this season. And then as we come into January, we're going to jump back into community groups again. And so maybe you haven't been plugged into one, but you want to. We're going to hear more about how you can get involved in a community group uh, starting up in January. 
morning. Today we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to open your Bibles there. And I want to talk to you uh, about the protection that is available to us as believers who are engaged in a battle. I have to ask, have, have any of you felt like, man, since I've come to Christ, I feel like i got more trouble than before? Right? So often there, there's a message preached that uh, come to Christ and everything will be fine and, you know, it's, it's fairy tales and unicorns and, right, all is good. But then we come to Christ and we realize, man, there, it seems like there is, it is more of, of a battle in my life. If that is your perspective, I want to say you may not be imagining it because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are enrolled as an agent of heaven and therefore you declare yourself to be an enemy of evil. You declare yourself to be an enemy of the evil one himself, and Satan, at that point, is committed to one thing. He's committed to the destruction of your faith. He will put all of his effort into confusing us and demoralizing us so that we will conclude, oh, Christianity is just a hoax or it's just an empty promise. But I want to tell you today, we need not live in fear of the attacks of the enemy in our lives. We are not defenseless pawns in this this cosmic battle that's being waged in the spiritual realms. When it comes to physical sickness in our lives, most of us don't live in constant fear of becoming ill. Well, maybe that's changed a little bit since COVID, right? It seems like the media just wants to fill us with more and more fear so that we're we're trapped in our homes, right? We're, we're, we're to ourselves, right? We're isolated. But if we think seriously about it and we're in that place where we practice good health and we get good nutrition and we exercise properly, like we, we rest well, we can reasonably expect to live a healthy life. And so if we if we get the flu, we don't think, man, I'm going to die, right? Instead we say, i got to take a day or two and, and i got to rest and then I'm going to get on with my life. And I tell you, when we talk about evil, evil attacks us like germs that attack our physical body. Evil comes from many sources. We've talked about this, right? Evil comes from ourselves, from our own sinful nature. It comes from the, the systems of our present world. It, it even comes through Satan and through his messengers. But, but we know this, that if we are taking care of our spiritual health, if we're regularly giving ourselves to prayer and to the truth of God's word, then we are able to resist the assaults of the enemy. And, and there will be times, sure, in our lives where the attacks seem ferocious and we, we need to get some prayer support, right? Maybe we need to take a couple of days to rest and to reflect, but we need not live in mortal fear of the forces of evil. We know that God is greater, as we sang this morning, right? God is greater, and he's working in us. See, the great promise of the gospel is this, that God is on your side. That's the heart of, of the gospel message. I hope you realize today that God is for you, and he is not against you. The word gospel is the, the translation of the Greek New Testament's word, euangelion, and it is a, a compound word. It means this, good message. The gospel of, of Jesus Christ is, is summed up by Paul's words in Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The most basic defense that we have in our lives when evil attacks is to remember this, God is on my side. God is on my side. See, demons, the demonic forces, do their most effective work in our minds. They love to use lies and twist and, and manipulate, and they, they, they work to create fear and 
times when the deception is very obvious, and it, it often comes to us, though, at other times woven in a cloak of truth. The enemy knows this, that if he can blend some falsehoods with a portion of truth, we're going to be more vulnerable to the lies, aren't we? If you just look at the world's religions and, and cults, those, though they're very different, most of them contain some fragment of truth which makes you think, well, I can see how that could be possible or plausible, and it makes them enticing for those who are searching for truth. But the deception of the enemy distorts truth and inserts a little false filter into our thinking so that truth becomes so difficult for us to recognize. And so we need to learn, church, to shut off the lies and quiet the chatter like the disinformation campaigns that took place during World War II. There was so much propaganda that was going around while the battle was being waged that many of the troops, both in Europe and in the Pacific Islands, they, they were listening to the shortwave radio. And so the Allied troops could tune into either Tokyo Rose or there was Axis Sally, and these women would talk about how successful the, the Japanese army and the German forces were. So what would it do? It would put fear in the hearts of the Allied troops. Man, we're going to die in this battle. Things are, are going wrong. And, and I read this this week. They would even play American music to stir up feelings of homesickness in the troops to remind them of just how much they missed home. Now, we know that the lies of the enemy weren't successful there, right? But no one knows how many American men suffered torment because they heard the lies over the airwaves. Truth be told, they could have spared themselves a lot of grief if they had just turned off the radio, right? Just turn off the radio. The disinformation was destructive and untrustworthy, so why listen to it? Can I just say, there is a war to be fought that, that was not won or lost because of propaganda, but so often the enemy torments us with lies. And so, church, we place ourselves at risk when we listen to the lies, right? When we repeat the lies, and sometimes we, we even agree with the lies. But instead, we need to take the word of God, and we need to find the truth that equips us to live as victors in this battle. The good news, again, is that Christ has not left us defenseless. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. In our text this morning, we're going to discover the protection given by God to the believer who is in combat for the kingdom of God. And, and this is a very familiar passage. I know you've probably read it. You've probably heard it many times. And so the temptation is to tune out. I want to encourage you, don't do that, okay? I think you will be encouraged to hear uh, these passages of Scripture again. The instructions and promises found here are the foundations upon which our assurance as Christ followers is founded. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, it says this. Finally, be strong in the stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened 
fastened on the, the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Uh, The first thing I want you to see here in this passage is that staying protected in the battle requires our active participation with God. We read these directives. I want you to write them down here. There's so many directives in this passage. Be strong, right? Be strong. Put on. Take up. Stand firm. Stand. Pray in the Spirit at all times. So again, this is not a a passive stance, right? We're not just saying, God, you're fighting the battle and I'm passive. No, God's saying, take, be strong, put on, take up, stand firm, stand. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Dr. Neil Anderson writes this. He says, you may be wondering if my position in Christ is secure and my protection is found in him, why do I have to be actively involved? Can't I just rest in his power and let him protect me? He says, that's like a soldier in the United States Army saying, our country is a major military power. We have advanced weapon systems. We have planes and missiles and ships. Why should I bother with my helmet? Why post guard or learn to shoot a gun? When the battle is on, guess who will be the first one to get picked off? This past Thursday was Veterans Day, right? It was a day to honor military. Now, why do we honor these individuals? Because we recognize that they put themselves in harm's way for us, right? They've protected us. They've protected each other. Protection is needed in the front lines of the physical battle, but I want to say it's also needed in the front lines of the spiritual battle. As soldiers in God's army, we are on the front lines of battle, and we need to stay protected. And so how does the Bible tell us to stay protected? What must we do? Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I got to tell you, it's something of a challenge to take the word pictures that are used here in this passage and bring them up to date. Because Paul is, is writing a letter to the Christians while he's in prison there in Rome, and perhaps he's concluding his letter, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit inspires him to look at the guard that was posted by his door. And so he's looking over at the imperial guard that was part of the elite unit that protected the Caesar. And and Paul begins to note the defensive armor, and it became a way of instructing us about protection when we are confronted by evil. And he says this, put on the full armor. Put on the, the complete armor. Okay? He's not saying put on a part, put it all on, right? It includes a sword, a shield, a lance, a helmet. It includes the the greaves. I had to look that up. I didn't know what they were. Those are the shin guards, right? And and the breastplate of righteousness. In in verse 14, we we find the protection of, of a vital area. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, here we find two words that we've already discussed in this series, and you see they're popping up again, right? They are truth 
and righteousness. Truth is our greatest weapon, and it's our greatest defense. And righteousness, think about that. There is no way you can effectively engage in the battle if you're not living right. Now, the largest target area on a soldier's body is what? It's the chest, right? Here in the chest, you have the heart, you have the lungs, you have some other vital organs. And so one shot in that area can kill or at least badly wound a soldier. Now, using this image, God tells us to protect the vital areas of ourselves with a bulletproof vest of righteousness held in place by a wide belt of the truth. We find great protection, church, in being in reality who we confess to be, who we profess to be, right? This is righteousness. Listen, the Christian who sings one song in church and another in the workplace has laid aside a critical piece of his protection. And anytime there, there's a gap between what we preach and what we practice, that is precisely where we are vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. So it says put on righteousness. However, we got to be so careful at the same time not to construct our own righteousness, right? We, we know today that our righteousness is first and foremost a gift of God. It, it is granted to us through Christ in response to our faith. Righteousness, though, is so closely connected to truth. Jesus told us how we find truth so we can connect ourselves in, in the protection of righteous living. Again, John 17, 15, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them the evil one, they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And then he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How do we know what truth is, right? We talked last week about how our world sees truth as as relative. What's true for you may not be true. How do we know what is true? Simple. If the Lord declares it, then it's true. If the Lord declares it, then it's true. However, here's the reality. It's up to us to put on truth rightly. You see, the core truths that we need to grasp are who God is and and how he relates to us. And I said before, if you're a believer, you need to understand this morning that God is on your side. The, The truth is that he is a loving God. He is forgiving. He's reaching out to us to give us salvation, which we could not earn and we standing with God is granted by the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That is indisputable truth. Now, certainly we have a responsibility to accept God's grace and and to commit ourselves to holiness. However, we become the devil's victims the moment we attempt to weave a robe of righteousness on our own doing, right? We were fooled by a lie about God believing, well, he's just a vengeful, stern, angry God, and so i got to get myself right by myself. It is important that we commit to living faithfully in truth. Listen, if there is any place in our lives where we knowingly live a lie or where we decide to be deceptive, we have created a foothold. We have created an opening for some spiritual tactics. Any place where we're knowingly living a lie or we decide to be deceptive, that's a foothold. And i got to tell you, the enemy will come in in those places and he'll set up camp. 
Satan will always exploit an opportunity like that. And small lies have a, have a way of becoming big lies. Little sins that are committed in secret places have a way of taking down even the strongest over time. If you don't believe me, just read the story of David, right? David and Bathsheba, right? Little sins, small lies, they take down even the strongest over time. However, when you know the truth about God's love and God's grace, it will allow you to amidst unpleasant, I would say even ugly places in your life where the Spirit does not move. Acknowledged is a sin that's half defeated. Satan loves the secret sins that, that have never been confessed because in those dark corners of our minds, he causes an awful lot and he causes sin to actually really affect our spiritual walk and feelings. Now, in verse 15, we find a critical piece of our protective gear. It says, Put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, imagine that you're a soldier on the, on the front lines of the battle, and you've got the best rifle, you've got the warmest clothing, you've got the safest helmet on your head, but you look down and you see that you're bare. Have I asked how effective are you in that battle? Like, realistically, how many miles can you cover with your bloody, bleeding feet, right? In the rough conditions of battle, the simplest piece of equipment becomes the most important. Can I just say, a Christian who is in turmoil in their relationships with God and with others is not ready for spiritual battle. And one of the devil's most effective means of neutralizing the church or a Christian is to get a fight started, right? Get a, get a fight going. Just think about it. How well do you fight when you're fighting with your spouse? Probably not very well, right? How, how many people are attracted to a church where the pastor and the elders are at war with each other? Not very many. When your mind is not at peace, do you take every concern to God in prayer? Listen, Jesus Christ is our peace. He's called Prince of Peace, right? He came to bring us to a place of peace with God and, yes, with each other. And, and when we're ready to fight and we're always ready to turn viciously on each other, we need to instead turn to Jesus and say, God, would you give me peace in this situation? God, I, I need your, your peace to Colossians 3.13, the encouragement there is to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must. Always underline those must. Must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called. Next, we learn about the value of the shield. Verse 16 says, Take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Can I just say this today? Faith is not a, a mystical magic word. Okay? Faith is being informed by the word of God about God and the way that he works. And according to this passage in Ephesians 6, we know that Satan and his demons are always firing darts at us all the time. Right? There are those accusing thoughts. They try to destroy our confidence before God. They're fired at us. Those, those bitter thoughts that stir up hatred, they're fired at us. There's those lustful thoughts that are fired at us that pervert.
to something selfish, these fearful thoughts that are fired at us, that cause us to become defensive and, and, and self-focused. The, the fiery darts, though, that we read about in this passage, I did some research on this week, they were actually made out of a hollow reed, something like bamboo. And one end of the dart was, was stopped up, and then the reed was filled with a flammable liquid and, and loosely fitted with a wick on the other end of the tube, and then it was lit. And so when the fiery dart was shot like an arrow, you didn't have to shoot it at a bundle of straw, you didn't have to shoot it at something that was flammable, but you could shoot it at the soldier itself. And when that dart hit the soldier, it would keep on burning because it had its own wick. It would hit the soldier, and the wick would pop out, and the liquid would spill over the soldier's armor and ignite that armor, and, and so often soldiers were literally cooked in their own armor. Now think about how appropriate that Paul would use this imagery concerning the enemy's attacks on the people of God. These darts, little things, they, they weren't very big, but when they were fired during the daylight hours, you could hardly see them coming. But when they struck, the, the results were devastating. Can I just tell you today, this is exactly how the enemy works. He sends something our way. He sends a, a little thought, he sends an unholy idea. He sends an event. He sends a casual comment by a friend, which seems innocent at first, but when it strikes, it spreads destruction throughout our spiritual being. In the field of psychology, there's what's known as negative connotations or negative cognitions. And these are thoughts which cause a person to experience emotional distress. And so a person suffering from depression can only think thoughts which see negative images of the present or, or the future. And, and some of these thought patterns can be easily explained in terms of, man, there's some family influences or some life experiences. There's some psychological factors. However, researchers admit that many of these thoughts seem to have no obvious origin at all. Well, I can just tell you where the origin is. I believe the enemy himself come at times that will try to plant things in our minds that will cause us pain, and if possible, try to lead us away from God himself. And so what is our protection, right? What, what is our protection? What is our defense? Scripture tells us that it is the shield of faith. Now, when you think of a, a Roman shield, here's how you have to picture it. The Roman shield was as large as a door. It wasn't this little thing. As large as a door. It was made of wood. And, and the surface of it was charred with a torch, and then it was covered over with leather. And so a soldier could actually hide his whole body behind that shield. And so if a fiery dart hit, the liquid would spread out, but the charred wood and the shield wouldn't, get, wouldn't catch fire. And so the soldier was safe behind his shield. How are we protected, church? We are protected by a shield of faith. And can I just say today, when you hold up the shield of faith, there is no dart of the enemy that is going to harm your soul. There's no dart of the enemy that's going to harm your soul. We extinguish, I love that, what a great word. We extinguish those darts with the truth of God's word. Remember Jesus' time of testing and temptation. Matthew chapter 4, right? Each time he is tempted, Jesus says what? It is written. It is written. It is written. He's constantly referring back to the word of God to refute the enemy, the enemy's arguments. Now I want to tell you, church, we need to build our faith upon the truth. But at the same time, we need to be careful to think that just being able to quote a Bible verse for every situation is a shield of faith. 
Jesus, the shield is actually created when that truth that you receive from the word is actually integrated into your life, when the truth informs your worldview and it shapes your value system. You see, each time that you read a passage in God's word or you hear a sermon or you you do a Bible study, right, you ought to be enlarging your shield of protection. Verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation. It's pointing here to the importance of the head, right? We can live without an arm or a leg. We, we can survive a shot even to the vital organs of life. But the head is a critical area that needs to be protected. And Satan knows this. And so Satan takes a genius approach to salvation. He goes after our minds. Those, those of you who grew up in, in my day, you, you remember headshots and dodgeball, right? Used to say no headshots, but you can still hear the sound of that thing in your head, right? Thank God He created us with a skull, right? Thank God He created us with this thick, bony container called a skull that that protects this amazing collection of nerve cells and all our memory and our personality, holds the very essence of our uniqueness. And so, in our spiritual life, we we must have a transformed mind that accepts the work of Christ on our behalf. Listen, we will never be an effective agent of heaven until we allow salvation to do a work in our minds. The contemporary uh, idea of salvation has this implication of rescue, right? And for so many, it's just this idea, I'm saved from hell, right? I've got a ticket to heaven now. And can I just say, that is certainly an aspect of our salvation. But the larger truth of salvation is this, it's restoration and healing in our lives. And, and so we, we, we must trust Christ for forgiveness. He, he, he begins to heal us of sin sickness in our lives, and he begins to restore the image of God in us. And that restoration begins in our minds, and that affects our attitudes and works its work. And, and so the encouragement here is take the helmet of salvation. In other words, let God change your mind and therefore change your life change your internal instinct. The absolute protection of your thoughts and your mind is the fact of your salvation. It's this fact that you are no longer subject to evil, for in Christ you have become adopted as a child of God. Amen? You've become adopted as a child of God, and so you can put on the helmet of salvation. You can put on that assurance of salvation that is given to you because of the finished Jesus Christ on the cross. And as I close, I want to move to one final thought in our text, and it's verses 6 and 18. This is not an afterthought, but it's very important for us to understand. Paul says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for the saints. Which is a prayer to God and thwarts evil in our lives like that nature. Does this mean that we need to be alone in some quiet room on our knees all the time, just in that place crying out to God all day? It's not a bad idea, but it's not very practical, is it? Okay. There are certainly times for focused prayer like that where we need to get alone and we need to be in that quiet place, but just as important is the prayer that we carry throughout the day and throughout the night. We can 
stay in touch with God, and we should, but often we don't. And in this passage, we're told to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. In other words, when you're overwhelmed, pray. When, when you're exhausted, pray. When you get up in the morning, pray. Before you fall asleep at night, pray. Offer up praise in the middle of your day, church. Give thanks for the small things that allow you to see the goodness of God in your life. In short, learn the habit of living in the presence of God. This is your greatest happiness. A man known by the name of Brother Lawrence, a saint, spent much of his days working in the kitchen. But all of that time was spent in the presence of God. He he wrote a book, a book practicing the presence of God. He wrote this. He said, I cannot imagine how religious persons could live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. The practice of the presence of God. That's what it means to live in the moment. It means to recognize that God is is present with you throughout the day. It's not negated to a a prayer, just set off a prayer before a meal on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday night. Church, we are called to, to pray at all times. But here's the promise, church. In the spiritual battle that you have, God has your back. Would you stand with me? As we close out our time today, I'm so thankful that in this spiritual battle that we have, that we're engaged in, that there is protection for us as believers. But here's the question I want to ask of you this morning. I want you to think on this. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to even speak to you in this moment. Are you participating in His protection? Are you participating in the protection that's available to you? Or are you just living your life in a way where the enemy has free reign to attack you? We need to learn to, number one, accept the righteousness of Christ as our own. We need to, secondly, believe the truth about God's nature and His love for us. We need to accept the gift of peace with God. And we also need to live peaceably with one another. We need to study the Word of God, church. We need to build up a strong shield of faith by integrating the truth of the Word into every part of our lives. We need to accept your salvation, God's restoration and fullness to you as possible by Christ alone. i